Hello everybody and welcome to episode 116 of Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera. On the show this week, could Sony be doubling back on their claims about cross-platform play? Jason! Arriving on the PlayStation 4 for free in July. Update on the PUBG Fortnite lawsuit and in our book club this week we're going to talk about the sequel to maybe the greatest first person shooter of all time. It's Doom 2 Hell on Earth. Let's start the show. This is Link to the Cast, episode 116 from linktothecast.eu, available on all your favourite podcasting platforms, be it Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, or Stitcher. I'm your party host, as always, Dave Ryan, and I am joined in the baking, unbelievably uncomfortable sun by the platforming prodigy that is Mark Robinson. Mark, how are you, my friend? Dave, now I can't officially confirm yet if football is coming home. <laughs> but I've I, heard I can tell. But I can tell you where it's definitely not going, my friend. <laughs> Oh, would that be to Deutschland? It would certainly be. Oh my word! Okay, so I suppose oh. we'll hit there first with our with our brief uh, World Cup date. Oh as my I, god! I'm gonna call them for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> we are recording this uh, mere hours after Germany, the reigning champions of the world. And by the way, for non-soccer fans, just bear with us. This won't last long. Um. Germany, the reigning champions of the world, crashed out in the group stages. As I pointed out in our little group chat earlier, Mark, um, that we have with uh, intermittent co-host Jack Lazell and friend of the show Matt Niner, um, they are the th- the third ho- uh, the third reigning champions in a row to go out of the World Cup in the group stages, and the fourth of the last five, uh, which is a staggering statistic. But uh, as an Englishman. You've got to enjoy Like, I enjoyed it for the sheer, this is thrown a, like a cat amongst the pigeons. One of the favourites is out already. Uh, but as an Englishman, you've um, got to enjoy it that little bit more. No, so I, I didn't enjoy it from the aspects uh, or the perspective of being an Englishman. I just enjoyed it from the fact that, you know, one of the heavy favourites has gone. Um, def- Niner definitely enjoyed it from the other perspective as well. Uh, that's, yeah, that's <laughs> fine. He's, you know, whatever. Um, no, I, I, I enjoyed it solely just from the fact of like one of the big heavyweights going out. Like potentially, um, by the time this show is finished or a little bit after, Brazil could possibly be out as well, depending on the way things go. Um, I do enjoy it from the fact that it means that. You know, we have a, a big heavyweight that's not there that England could now don't have to go through if things turn out and we actually uh, turn up for the Belgium and then whoever we get in the second round. Um, but just, uh, it's it's the magic of the World Cup, you know. I'm very much enjoying this World Cup. I'm enjoying yeah, the spectacle of VAR. And I actually, I, I want to really kind of hone down, like, what, what are you feeling about uh, the implementation of VAR and the kind of big, uh, like, uproar that there's been from certain people, the acceptance from other people, and just how it kind of fits into, like, the game so far. Okay, so so conscious of what this podcast is gen- generally about, and I don't want to get too bogged down into football, because I think there'll be a big 
discussion on VAR, I am very certain, on the World Cup wrap-up podcast we do in, in sure. a few I mean, I have, I have nothing to say other than I'm warm, so I can talk about this for the next 10 minutes easily. Yeah, so, um, what I will say is I think VAR is a terrific invention. It's terrific technology. I think it's inevitable that it comes into the game. Uh, I very much agree with what I believe Luke Moore of the Football Ramble to to pimp a, a much more successful podcast and a podcast I love very dearly. Uh, he said about it, and that is that the VAR system is perfect, but the rules of the game are not uh, adjusted to allow this new technology to come in. Um, there is far too much still up to the discretion of the referee who has an imperfect view of matters so when people have been giving out about var a lot of the time it's because things are not being thrown up to var uh, because the referee has decided there's nothing worth throwing up and what i was saying in our um group chat the other day was that that i think the var process needs to be constantly ongoing sort of like a linesman uh, on the pitch is able to spot the offside even if the referee doesn't think there's an offside he's still throwing the flag down the referee can see oh it was offside i'll call an offside similarly the the var people are, are presumably watching a constant stream of what's going on in this match so they should be telling the ref down the earpiece is like hold on no there was a handball there or that handball you've called was unintentional um that that would help but uh, yeah it, it, at the end of the day a lot of it comes down to it's not var's error it's human error because of the way the the letter of the law goes with the rules of the game at the moment i think people are getting mad because this is the kind of like the biggest uh test of var there has been yet and i i think we just need to grin and bear it there's going to be a lot of chaos but i think as well at the same time mark and i think you might agree with me on this People say that it slows down the momentum of a game and takes the fun out of it in some respects because there's been a lot more penalties and a lot more penalizations in this World Cup than you would expect uh, at this stage. But my God, it adds some drama. Oh, absolutely. I like. I mean, people make it out like it's um, the, the pace of the game is becoming that of like American football, which is just not the case at all. Um, yeah. You know, there have been a lot of. Uh, VAR decisions, but there've only ever been, I think, more no more than like two, maybe. I think two has been the max in the game, maybe three. Um, and I agree with you that you know its implementation uh, has definitely added a, a real kind of level of spectacle and drama that uh, the World Cup richly deserves. Um, and I think, other than the was it the Iran handball? Is that the one I'm thinking of? Or was it Morocco? Yeah. yeah, there was the one handball decision which was just mad to give. But by and large, the the decisions that VAR have been used for have been correct, and they have been used for the purpose. One of the big things has been just the insane amount of uh, grappling that's been going on in the the penalty area that. Uh, yeah that she'd rightly be kind of caught out and, and defenders yeah. should be punished for. And, and as well, uh, diving as well. I think these, I think within a few months, one of the things that needs to adjust is how defenders handle attackers in the box and how attackers try to get penalties because they're going to start to realize now when they're getting booked that they can't just go down like they've been shot uh, under no contact and defenders can't get away with wrestling people to the ground anymore. Uh, and to be honest, like people complaining about that 
don't have their head screwed on right because they shouldn't have been trying to do that to begin with. 10, 12 years ago, I remember when Jose Mourinho's Porto team uh, ran to the... Uh, it was the UEFA Cup at the time, the UEFA Cup final and beat Celtic. Everyone was talking about, uh, oh, diving is not the way to play the game. Well, VAR is your answer for diving in the box. Absolutely, yeah. Um, it, 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 it removes things from the, more things from the game than it creates problems within the game. Yeah, referees and just need to learn how the handball rule works. Yeah, exactly. that the problems that it creates will be smoothed out eventually. And there's probably no better, like it's a baptism of fire in the World Cup, but I'm happy that it's here because once it starts to even out, like every league is going to have it because it will start working better. And now with all that said, Korea's second goal was not a point of contention with VAR. It was just hilarious. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, England are going to win the World Cup, so it's great. <laughs> Foot- football, it is coming home. It is indeed coming home. Mark, I alluded to at the start of the show, just before we get into video games here, what the fuck is going on with this temperature? I, I Like, it, it's been... I, I got into the car today, I went to drive down to the shops uh, in my car, and it was 36 degrees. Uh, do you remember, like, about four months ago when we were in by the, the way, Arctic you know Tundra? I, by the way, you know I have a car now, right? That wasn't just something I dropped information for the first time to you on this program that, that is like you actually just dropped to me and, <laughs> and now i'm actually going back going wait what you huh. yeah, yeah all right but more about that off the air <laughs> but uh well yeah, uh, I, congratulations I yeah I, I sat in the car today 36 degrees celsius i did not like it not yeah. one bit I, I will tell you one thing about cars uh getting into a car in this type of weather uh nah nah uh, thanks i'm i'm actually already strongly considering getting you know when you go on holidays to spain when you go on holidays to spain or somewhere and they have those like foil reflective things they put yes. across the whole windscreen <laughs> I was like, for the two weeks of the year where, like, it, this is the thing. People, myself and I were driving along today going, and people have the nerve to say that global warming doesn't exist. Like, like you said, we were buried under Arctic tundra three months ago, and now I feel like I might get heat stroke inside. Yeah, it's, you know, <laughs> the weather is mad. Uh, global warming is a thing. Republicans are mad. There you go. Yeah. Um, but yes, it is very hot. For, uh, I will say this, though. Um, my flat is great for... Um, it, it doesn't retain the heat, um, but like, I mean, I, I haven't kind of properly gone th- through a winter yet here, so I don't know how it will retain heat then. But in terms of it doesn't trap the heat in, uh, and like my, my room is not stuffy. Now, I, I live on like the fifth or sixth floor, so I can have like all the doors and windows open, and they have been most of the day while I've been at work. Um, but like, my office is not as great uh like we definitely need to use the ac there uh, and i'm like right against the window pane as well so i can feel the sun kind of bearing down on my back but yeah uh i i'm i'm glad that i'm not in this weather and um like it was bad enough when i went to um see the gorillas uh the other week because we had weather similar to this and standing out in this kind of weather it's i'm just i'm not made for this like i know there are people that enjoy the sun and i'm happy for them i'm not that kind of person give me rain give me wind give me snow i will take any of that over that big fuck ball of fire up in the sky <laughs> i would very much enjoy if you became a weatherman <laughs> <laughs> and in today's forecast there's a fuckball of fire up in the sky uh, yeah i mean holy shit i i feel it's a fitting description uh shall we uh finally talk about some video games oh go on then playing this week hey check it out i learned the baseline from final fantasy 2 
Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Oh, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Right, Mark, you, you've got one on the schedule here this week. I've got two, so I will give you the office, as we say in the biz. All right, then. So, I've been playing Hollow Knight, which uh, I gave a, a kind of brief uh, glimpse into my feelings on this game on Twitter a few days ago. Uh, so, Hollow Knight, for anyone that isn't aware, is uh, it's a 2D Metroidvania game uh, created by an Australian studio called Team Cherry. Uh, that was released last year, um, but was ported to Nintendo Switch um, about a month ago or so. And it's a game that I'd been wanting to get around to playing at some point. There's a bunch of these types of 2D platformers, Metroidvanias. Uh, I have Owlboy um, and uh, Dead Cell sitting on my Steam account at work. Um, but as usual, everything is best when it's been ported to the Switch. So I, I have bought like there are several games I have bought for the Switch that I already owned and bought for no better reason than because I it's really on the would like to play it on the Switch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, and I, you know, I will start by saying that Hollow Knight, as you can imagine, is a perfect fit for the Switch. Mm-hmm. Um, so my feelings on on Hollow Knight come down to to two main things basically. Um, as a game, as, as a world to explore um, and to uh, enjoy and appreciate and just get lost in its um, very kind of gothic design, almost kind of Tim Burton-esque uh, in its visual design, its animation, uh, character design, environmental design, all of that uh, I have enjoyed from beginning to end. It has a real kind of gothic tinge to it um, that is just it has so much kind of life and character to it and it's the first game since uh Majora's Mask where there's this kind of overriding tone of sadness about it um but it's still you know an enjoyable experience but that is the tone that I kind of go for um you know there's a lot about uh death uh it is kind of a, a core concept that's used um, but it's kind of set within this kind of like insect world kingdom. So it's like this kind of, when you think of it kind of in a bigger scheme of things, you've got this kind of tiny little world, um, but is actually massive and expansive. Um, like if you think like a kind of ant's nest and the way that all the roots kind of go down, it's tiny to us, but it's massive for them. Um, and there, there are these kind of wonderful and very different landscapes, uh, uh, and it just, it, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed just kind of getting into the game and getting lost uh, and, and kind of exploring all of these areas. My biggest issue is that as a Metroidvania, it, it's as kind of like to the T and to a fault, uh, as, as basic and as standard as a Metroidvania as you can get. And I, I do kind of say this coming off of the backs of what we were talking about last week with Guacamole, which is. A, an excellent Metroidvania because it, uh, to a degree, kind of redefined uh, a Metroidvania in that, you know, it does all the same stuff. You go to an area, you explore as, as much of it as possible, you find whatever the kind of key trinket you need to let you progress to the next area, and so on and so forth. And as you collect more of these upgrades or weapons or abilities, it allows you to go back to um, prior areas and find like hidden secrets and stuff that reward you for taking the time out to go and find those areas. 
And but the thing about guacamole is that that mixed the kind of abilities that you'd find to help you um, progress further. That was also the same abilities that you'd use for the, the combat. And it really it found a way to kind of bring these two together. Uh, and so there, there's no one thing that you learn that isn't used kind of throughout the game. Yeah. And like even Super Metroid has this issue because there's there's a couple of items that aren't necessary, and you only really get because you just want to get like a hundred percent completion. Um, Hollow Knight has this issue in that the actual kind of just mechanics of going left to right and combat and, you know, find this item that'll let you go on to the next area. It it doesn't do anything that I've not seen seen or been done before and I've seen done a million times. And so I'm finding that very frustrating. frustrating. Um and I'm finding that the the combat and maybe it's by design and maybe it's me being very picky and it pr probably is a very kind of subjective thing but i find the combat so limited and so basic and it doesn't really expand and and the the abilities that you do pick up you don't really use any of them because um like this is a, a couple of maneuvers that involve you sort of charging up your attack before lunging out most of the enemies in the game move too quickly that they're just not really viable uh, attacks to use so you just kind of settle for your basic forward s swipe your uh, kind of vertical swipe um, and you just kind of settle on those so I've I think I've got about six or seven hours in uh, and I'm definitely getting to some of the kind of more harder parts of the game and you could really feel that like as you progress further and further down this um, uh, area this world you know the the world does get darker. It's more uh, grimy. There are um, kind of stranger-looking enemies to attack. You know, you really feel like you're progressing down this world, but just the the the, the mechanics don't really vary up enough um, that I feel like it just it does anything that I've not seen before. So. It is a game that I would recommend to anyone that has played uh, Metroidvanias or enjoys Metroidvanias, but just don't expect it to do anything that you've not seen before, but do appreciate it for just its its artistic vision. Its sound design is incredible. Um, the the characters, uh, you know, the, there's actually a lot to enjoy with the characters, and, um, you know, there is some variation in their stories and... You know, there is a lot to enjoy there. Just It's just that kind of core gameplay that doesn't mix it up enough um, for me to kind of give it like a full-on, like, yeah, this is, you know, one of the best games that I've, I've played in this genre. Um, so, yeah, Hollow Knight. It's... I, I want to play... I'm, I'm, I'm going to finish it. I will definitely say that. Um, yeah, that, that's what I was going to ask. Like, you so say, you're going to definitely finish it. Now, are you going to finish it? because you you really want to finish it or are you going to finish it just because there's nothing really scratching your itch in that genre at the moment so you might as well no i i do want to finish it because i do want to see what more the world has to explore and because there I... are there are people who are raving about this game and, and yes. on your review i don't really understand it it's kind of like the opposite for me with what happened with axiom verge where a lot of people came kind of came out and went it's okay, and then I played Axiom Verge, and I was like, this is great, I really like this. Well, I mean, I came out of Axiom Verge 
sort of in between those two where I didn't think it was like excellent um, yeah. because it was like it's it's so super Metroid other than yeah. a few tweaks here and there but I, I, I do enjoy Action Verge for what it is and I'd probably put Hollow Knight on the, the same kind of level where I enjoy it for, for what it is and it possibly is just me and I don't know maybe I'm I'm being very snobbish with the the Metroidvania genre and it's like oh you have to be a, you have to redefine the genre for, to be a game that I think is like excellent I do think Hollow Knight is a very, very good game, and could, like, could, could it be a case of that? It's not so much that you think that, that they need to reinvent the wheel to impress you, but it's the fact that, say, like it was fine when Axiom Verge did it, but now that we've had several additional years since that game came out, and still no one has come up with a a, a unique take on the genre since that, that maybe you're just getting a little bit of wear and tear with those kind of games. Possibly, possibly. Um, I, I've heard some stuff about Dead Cells, so like that's another one that I'm gonna have yeah. to kind of have a look at some point. Um, I was I was a bit disappointed with um, Wonder Boy. Um, I thought that like again, kind of like artistically, that was great, and I loved that it would let you go between. The, the original uh, graphical style of the game and the the remake that they did like just by pressing the shoulder yeah. button um i think up, hollow knight is definitely in the upper echelon of mm. those types of games uh and I, I do think it's more it's probably me just being more snobbish than anything but like yeah. if i wasn't interested or if i wasn't enjoying it i would just stop playing um but i i'm definitely going to see it through to the end so you kind of, like you said, you put it on the level with Axiom Verge or maybe Ori as well would be in or around yeah, there? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Now, I never finished Ori, so I couldn't kind of um, give a f- kind of fully qualified uh, comparison. Um, but, like, if you enjoyed uh, Axiom Verge, then I, you know, I would definitely recommend Hollow Knight to, to you. And it's definitely not, it's not as kind of brutally difficult. It's not a, it's not a Mark Robinson game. It's not a, not a ah. cuphead. So I, you know, I have died a fair few times and it does uh, this gimmick where uh, it does the kind of Dark Souls thing that when you die, um, all the, the, the money that you collect um, is, it remains in that spot. So you kind of have to go back and yeah. um, your saving point are these uh, benches that you sit on. And that's the only place that you can save. You can't just save uh, at, at random. Uh, and it also has this nice feature that uh, the map isn't instantly kind of drawn out for you as you discover it. You have to find this guy who's in each part of, of the each of these locations. Um, and then you can buy a map off of him. But then you also have to use your quill. And then every time you go to a new area, when you go back to the bench, you will then draw out the area that you just discovered. So that'll kind of let you, f- like, kind of bit by bit sketch out the world that you uh, discover and I really like that it's a really nice feature um, but yeah it's not it's not like a brutally difficult game I've died a few times there are a couple of challenging enemies um, but I, I, I think that you know you would be fine with um, the, the challenge put in place oh okay I might, I might be interested now because I was I really liked the aesthetic of the game um, yeah, like I, it, it, everything I saw about how that game looked and, 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 and seemed to handle I liked it was just that it did seem uh, just from the kinds of people that were raving about it those are the people who usually love the really punishing meat boys and stuff like that so if it's not 
if it's kind of at axiom verge levels of, of difficulty yeah, i think that would be something i'd uh, probably get in a sale then i i think um uh, an axiom verge level of difficulty is is a good comparison to make um and i think it's like 15 quid on the switch um and for like that for you know just just how that game feels and looks i, I do think it's worth seeing for that hmm um right so turn over to what i've been looking at um I think I'll take the newer of the two games first because I, I probably have a little bit less to say about it. But so I got Mario Tennis Aces. Yeah. Um, so released last week. Did you get this game yet? Are you able to uh, kind no, of join us? No, I, I need to uh, trade in God of War. So I'll probably ah, get it on okay. um, payday. Uh, by the way, uh, is it insert coin clothing? You know, the kind of like premium uh clothing brand that's based on like gaming ip you know that website yes um they do really nice like pokemon stuff i've, I've seen in the past that i've been tempted to get but they have one that's uh, a god of war t-shirt that's like the god of war the omega symbol and it just says boy yeah <laughs> and i've been very very it's like 14.95 and i've just been hovering over by for the last couple of days but anyway mario tennis aces came out last week um and uh it's a good game like it's <sighs> It's not lit my world completely on fire because there are some decisions that were made in in the, the, the kind of like how the game presents itself that I was like, ah, oh, if only they'd done this or that. Um, the, the main thing, I think, is that uh, I don't know if it was on this show or just us talking to each other where we we're mocking these people, but I, I can sort of understand now having gotten to it and played it why the brevity of games like how short even the like so there's when you're doing free play mode you can kind of toggle whether it's um a short game or a long game where you kind of play is it best of three games or best of five games or something like that but even those are really short unless you come up against somebody who's like basically perfectly matched with you um the games are really brief which helps with online play it's coming from that splatoon kind of sensibility that the games are over so quick that you don't really care if you win or lose because you're just like right i want to get back in get more in um yeah i saw some retweets i can't remember if it was a reddit thread but uh there was someone who was like it's not proper tennis i want my money back yeah yeah nintendo have conned me yeah so there are people demanding refunds that is silly that is that is silly <laughs> but i would still love the option and this is something that you could theoretically patch in uh, th later this is exactly what i was thinking this is such an easy thing to patch in at yeah. some point being able to play a full set or being able to play like a full like men's or women's length game of three or five yeah, sets I, I think that's people just coming from like mario tennis 64 yeah, that's people coming from. Yeah, there's there's a couple of Mario Mario tennis games in the past that they they cited as precedent that you could play a full length tennis game at, and I understand, especially like when you play the the normal rules of the game, not the simple rules. The simple rules are the ones where it's only your tennis skill come into it. But if someone's really good at using those powers uh, and shit like that, it, games can be over pretty quickly if you are not good enough. Um, so. I can sort of see where they're coming from. And then the other the other side of things that I, I... It's not that I don't like it. It's just that it's not... And I don't even know what I would want it to be, but this, the story mode for what it is, it's very silly, which I do very much enjoy. I do enjoy that there's a mythical racket called Lucian. <laughs> I do enjoy that you have to get these five colored gems that definitely aren't Infinity Stones. 
<laughs> did, like, did they just look at fucking Cappy from last year and go, right, I got an idea? Yeah, like it's it, it's it's kind of fucking wild. Um, uh, but what it actually is, what happens in it, like the the little uh, you can't even call them cutscenes. They're they're kind of cutscenes in the you know the those yakuza cutscenes that are just like still images with the art like persona. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's still images. You can hear the like the the kind of the sound effect as if the person is talking, and then you read the subtitles. That's pretty much what you're dealing with that's i don't like it's not really particularly well written you know there's like a weird like with mario rpg and stuff like that there's like a weird sense of humor to some of it um it, it's not it's not written very cleverly i don't think at least not yet in the the parts i've played uh, and then the actual mode is kind of like it, it follows a bit of repetition. I think it's one of those things where they rather than try to do a full kind of single player mode in this game, they were just like, how can we construct a mode specifically to train you to play the online mode? Kind of like Call of Duty does with its campaigns. So it's pretty much like you go through this routine of like... um challenge maps sort of where like you'll have there'll be six piranha plants on the opposite side of the court placed at different levels of height and distance away from you and you have to try and hit they will uh spit fiery tennis balls at you and you have to try and rebound them and hit 30 of the piranha plants in a minute and a half or whatever so there'll be challenges like that or there a very early one is just a brick wall and to get into this temple you have to hit the brick wall in specific points in a specific order um so there's challenges like that and every couple of challenges then you'll come to a new court which if you get through this area that this new court is in you'll unlock it for the the free play mode and the online mode which is aces but uh it's just a standard tennis match then there's not really it feels a little bit half-baked and i can't even exactly point out in what way you know what i mean yeah um but the actual the the most important part of, of a game like this is how it handles minute to minute and it is a very it's a very intuitive control system like it's there's a couple of times where i still because i'm only a couple of hours of playing this in um where i still go all right uh which button is it to do a lob or to slice it or you know depending on, on what kind of shot i want to do but you can be it's kind of like a, a smash brothers thing where you can be pretty capable within a couple of minutes at this game uh, and then the advanced stuff is there for you to tinker with and get used to. But you, in terms of like getting up and running with this game, it's not very complex. It, it's very user friendly, which I do like. And I, I dearly love all the animations on all the characters. Um, I've played with most of them now and uh, I, I love Chain Chomp. I love Chain, when Chain Chomp is getting ready to serve that he's bouncing the tennis ball on top of himself because he has no arms. <laughs> um, just little little things like that really help. Um, and the commentary, like the what little kind of commentary there is in it, is isn't annoying, which you know it can be in games like this sometimes. Um, yeah, I'll tell you what, it, now it, I'm thinking about it, I really wish they actually had two toads commentating over the game in real time. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, I really will enjoy 
seeing how this game is supported post-release. I think, yeah, the most open goal they can have is uh, an expansion patch that uh, puts in like a full full game mode or something like that even if you never have a full length tennis game available in an online mode i can understand why you'd want to keep that away from the online mode but even putting in something like oh in free play with your friends at home you can now play the full length of a tennis match i I must confess i haven't had the chance because i i've been playing it all um in handheld mode i haven't had a chance to try the the swing mode where you're using the the joy con but i'm i'm sure that's like if if our arms experience is anything to go by i'm sure it's it's kind of fun but you wouldn't do it full time sort of thing do you wonder um, with <clears throat> um and I, I'm, I'm going with nintendo specifically here because like the content that they bring out after has always been free but do you wonder if like for splatoon and for uh, an arms and now for mario tennis although this isn't like directly nintendo making it but um do you wonder if you know they have a certain amount of content that they'll make not that they kind of keep stuff at the side, but they have a certain amount they make because they're still just not like, you know, will this game actually sell? And then release mm-hmm. the game, and then if it does above expectations, then go, right, now let's add this that we were thinking about doing, or this, or stuff that, yeah. you know, all these kind of like extra uh, comforts that aren't like 100% crucial to the experience, but there are additional features that you would have been happy to have there to, to begin with. Yeah, I think at this stage in the Switch's life cycle and with the the attach rate a lot of these games have, uh, the first party ones, I I think Nintendo are pretty comfortable releasing a game that doesn't have literally everything people want because they know it's going to do pretty well because there's that kind of... People, we're getting a, a good constant stream of the indie games. And it's funny because last generation, you remember, Mark, it was like... We can't move for the first party games on Wii U, but we were dying for a third party game or an indie game to come out on Wii U that made us pick up the fucking thing in between first party releases. Yeah. Whereas now it it's kind of the opposite. It's like there's so many like cool and sometimes not so cool indie games coming out on the thing or, or the odd third party game that kind of rightfully so like with the other consoles the first party game seems like the the rarity the occasion the special thing that everyone's gonna buy (laughs) which is mad that that turnaround in just a couple of years is crazy really um so yeah i think because there's a hungry base of players out there who are just gonna buy this game like i i knew i was from the second i played the demo i knew even if didn't have all the features i wanted straight away i was buying this game um i know for a start if you enter the the monthly tournaments as they call them which is just if you play online in july august and september you get to unlock the three characters that are going to be in the first substantial update you get them early whereas people who don't play online will just have to wait until september or whenever that patch is coming out and i will say this if they don't have link who uses the master sword as uh, a tennis racket then (laughs) yeah i'd like swing and a miss I'd like if it if it was the the master sword, but it is at the very top of it just turned into a metal racket. Like sure. it's the full hilt of the master sword and everything like that, and then it's just like this weird fucked up monstrosity of a racket. Yeah, and like, like just that. just just go I, mad. At it. Do do a smash, but like where we want them to do a smash with Mario Kart, do a smash with 
Mario Tennis as well, and have fucking um, Star Fox in there, have Kirby, and well, as long as Roy, actually, because I'm still waiting for Roy. Well, yeah, here, yeah, here's the thing is that it's going to tennis. I, I think it's all Mario Universe people, so you have much more of a chance of a Roy than a um, than a Link in it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, it's a good game. It makes me really want Mario Soccer to come out <laughs> on. Um, on this and a Mario RPG, it's like okay now that like if this game does well in sales, it's like let's start taking out the obscure Mario uh, franchises uh, and see how they do. I think it, like Hotel a, Mario. <laughs> uh, get, actually, I'll tell you what, I'd love a Doctor Mario. Uh, friend, um, friend of the show, Matt Niner is is a big fan of the uh, two shoutouts on one podcast. Uh, he's a big fan of the Mario Soccer game, actually, and I, I... the GameCube one that I got in German. Uh, it was over that or the... Was there one on Wii? I feel like I played the one on Wii, I want to say. Okay. Um, but yeah, but I really enjoyed that kind of, like, FIFA Street 3-on-3 type of, uh, of football game. Um, and, you know, Nintendo just seemed to be great at, at making this kind of wacky shit. Um, I, I'm definitely going to pick up uh, Tennis Aces. Like, I'm looking forward to just playing without all of the extra bells and whistles and special yeah. shots and stuff. Like, I like the feature of them. I like the animations and I like that they're all kind of unique. But I, yeah. I prefer just to kind of just pure tennis. As much as you can have pure tennis confined within the Mario universe. Yeah, absolutely. The other game I've been playing... Um, a fair bit more of is Detroit Become Human. Oh god, we're uh, still doing this. Yeah, so I'm actually I, I'm pretty sure I'm entering the final act of it uh, just based on, I don't use walkthroughs except I, I look at chapter titles in walkthroughs just to see how far along I am just to kind of get a good barometer of, of, of can I finish and this is part of my, I looked at that backlog we, we talked about my dispatches from the backlog uh last week uh, and this was of the the game the most doable in a short stretch of time uh because i've got shit like persona 5 sitting on the backlog um that game i think according to how long to beat is something like 95 hours so this is much more doable um so here's my here's how i'm feeling about detroit right now um i think in terms of consistency, it's one of David Cage's better games. What curve are we grading on here? So here's the here's the problem: is that there, I, I think all his games I've played, with the exception of Beyond Two Souls, which starts bad and remains bad, um, they have a real problem with consistency. In as much as there is stuff that's really good about these games. And then they just descend into terribleness, weirdness, uh, badness. They just, in some of them, it's chapter by chapter, where it's like one chapter is really good, and then another chapter is really bad. So, like, you remember when we were playing, we did the long play of Heavy Rain, and it felt pretty much like every second chapter was terrible. Um, Like, sometimes the chapters with Ethan, the father... And, and his blackouts and stuff. Some of the drama in that or some of the storytelling was quite interesting. Uh, I think both of us agreed at the time, unless I'm mistaken, Mark, that we both kind of enjoyed, you know, that detective, his arc? 
that there was some interesting stuff going on there. It was some of the better written parts of that game involved. I'm not going to say better written, but just the the kind of the <laughs> the concepts involved. I I was more on board with than the um, kind of melodramatic nonsense of some of the other chapters yeah. or story and arcs. Then, and, and then your boy, the third character, whose name I I only refer to as Future Glasses. Um there was like one or two of his chapters that were pretty decent where he was like analyzing crime scenes and stuff and you're trying to figure out clues and then like loads of weird shit with him doing a filing system sitting on the surface of mars in his future glasses where you're like oh what the what the shit is this for which Uh, i remember he was the only character that ended up dying in our uh, playthrough i believe he was the only one that died yes um Fahrenheit is kind of the same where like it starts I I think like that game holds itself together until the final act pretty well and then it goes mad uh, from what I recall but it's been a long time since I played Fahrenheit Um, this whereas it does have moments of just like hitting you with the subtlety hammer like the we, we talked last week about the androids having to stay on the back of the bus you know, that that kind of stuff where you're like, yes, we know, David Cage, this is your civil rights game. That stuff aside, I, I think this is one of the the more thoroughly realized worlds David Cage has created in a game. Um, and like part of that is probably because he's borrowing so much on uh, intellectual property we really enjoy. Like there, there's definitely a Blade Runner feel to some stuff, AI feel to some stuff um you can't really go wrong being able to create uh like a haunting sci-fi world in which you're dealing with the concept of consciousness there's there's so much there's so much ground to cover with that um and so much aesthetic already out there in the public consciousness that you you don't have to try very hard to make a semi-engaging world out of that idea um i i have enjoyed for the most part the story i think the pacing is a little bit strange um it starts off real nice slow burn i I talked about this last week didn't i mark where i kind of the introduction of all the characters and the constituent elements of detroit it's really good and it's and you get invested and want to see where all the characters are going and i think it's the most fully realized and fleshed out version of that quantic dream mechanic of every decision you make has consequences uh, it, it and it really does like i have made there are several times in this game where i've made very very slight choices that i thought okay maybe this will have an impact on things and it, it severely does and you can tell that by the the end of chapter breakdown where it shows you all the branching paths it doesn't show you exactly what decision you missed out on it just shows you that there was a decision there where you could have gone another way and it would have branched off in an entirely different direction uh, i think it's the best version of that system that's been in any of his games there's just the pacing where after that slow burn introduction that gets you right in i think it speeds up too quick and then i think we're i'm at the stage now where like i said just about to enter act three there's a couple of the david cage tropes from all his games coming in so mark remember um david cage's famous issues with the male gaze yes so that rears its head again but it's in some ways 
in the worst way it ever has, but in other ways in the like in the it, it, not so much. So there's a chapter that takes place at basically a sex club. <laughs> right. right. I'm just I'm just putting that out there. And it's you and I believe the actor's name is Clancy Brown. You you'd know his face from stuff. He was like one of the guards in Shawshank. Like he's a he's a proper actor. And his arc as the kind of like alcoholic uh, used to be great but now burnt out detective is, is pretty like his stuff is really interesting um, so you him and your character who is his android um, partner uh, visit this sex club because there has been a murder and <laughs> I'm just like okay I'm waiting for because David Cage usually what, what, do you remember what the, the, the trope we picked up over, I think, three of his games was? the What he does with women? Uh, he has them naked. Naked and usually in the shower. Yeah. Or, or in, in some way, and I hate this word, moist. <laughs> but you, you know what I mean? Like they, uh, yeah, it, I know what you mean. His, his thing is he wants CGI women listening and he will contrive a situation during which that will happen. And I'm like, okay, right. So we're in the sex club and I'm like, okay, this is going to happen. This is just going to happen. And like, there's no way out of this situation. So you're going in and there's actually a pretty intriguing puzzle where you have to try and kind of figure out where the, the Tracy is the model of Android. You figure out, figure out where she went. And what you do is you open the pods to where there was androids out in the corridor. Because it's basically like a vending machine where, oh, I, like, there's an android I would like to have relations with. You put in your handprint, make the payment, and the pod opens. And then you walk into the bedroom privately. So they're all out in the corridor and you open the pods and your android, he kind of, like, links up to them and can see through their eyes if they saw where your one went. So there's a puzzle trying to figure out okay what angles was she at how can i kind of retrace her steps figure out where she's hiding in this building and i'm like okay uh, <laughs> and the, the real objectification part is that like as you're walking around there there's just androids pole dancing now they're not naked but they're in like very very form-fitting tight kind of calvin klein underwear and you're like okay well if this is an, as indulgent as he gets then whatever but then, I, I won't spoil it, but a fight scene breaks out when you find this this android and uh, another female android who has helped her out uh, trying to escape this building. And they're like, okay, so the fight scene, it, it's pretty well done. It's pretty well choreographed. It's, pre it's pretty dramatic. Uh, and I'm like, if, if this is it, okay. You, you've stayed your hand here, David Cage. Fantastic. But then it spills out into the alley where, Mark, it's raining. And it's raining heavily. And all of a sudden, the female androids in their tight underwear are glistening. And I'm like, here we are. <laughs> we finally arrived. David Cage, you did it again. For fuck's sake. Um, the other thing that... The other David Cagey thing that made me groan a little bit was... You remember how in... Um, it, was heavy, yeah, it was heavy rain. Do you remember out of... Like, completely out of... There was that one scene where he visited the house of a completely unrelated serial killer. 
the female character leaves the motel and she goes to this house, creeps into it, and this guy, this like really creepy old dude, is like some sort of serial killer. But it's completely unconnected to the rest of the narrative of Heavy Rain. You know what? I feel like I've actually blocked that out of my mind. Yeah. So that happens, and I remember being like, what the fuck did that have to do with anything? And essentially the same thing happens in this. Um, the android Kara who's like the she's the female android who's all over the advertising for this game her and the little girl that she's trying to keep safe uh end up going to this guy's house and i only played this a few hours ago and i can't even remember how they fucking get to this guy's house they get to this guy's house who's going to help them and then he turns into this real creepy weird fucking dude and you end up in kind of like the android version of the same situation from that last game where you're trying to escape the house because this man, hitherto unrelated to the plot, turns out to be a fucking creepo. Um, so, apart from those couple of scenes where it's just like, this is David Cage letting his David Cage out, I, I think it's one of his better games. Um, it's definitely considerably better than Beyond Two Souls. It's not a very high bar to clear. I actually... I. I just want to clarify, is it that it's one of his better games or that it's one of his less worse games? No, you see, because I like Fahrenheit and I think about two thirds of Heavy Rain is good. It's just that the other third really drags it down badly. Um, I, I think unless the pacing issues get worse or unless it really dramatically fails to stick the landing, I think this will go down as being a pretty decent game um, when you take into account basically what david cage is um, i'm not allowing david cage david cage being david cage is not an excuse for bad games no but i, I don't think like we could be here another half hour talking about this i suppose <laughs> like there is a lot to unpack about like his games uh both mechanically and and how they're written and and just him in general um but uh we shall move on mark and we shall talk about the news News on the mark. So, we've talked for the last couple of weeks, Mark, because it, it kind of came up in three discussion about cross-platform play. There was the whole furore over Fortnite and people having to create a different account if they were switching from PS4 to Switch now that, that it's available on Switch. Um... But now it looks like Sony are kind of, they're feeling the heat from a lot of people bringing back up this cross-platform issue. And they really, the, you saw the, the Minecraft ad for Minecraft now being on Switch and they really heavily push that you can play with people on Xbox One on this ad. Uh, and it was surreal just seeing the Microsoft, the, the Xbox One logo next to the Switch logo. It was really fucking weird. Uh, but now it seems like Sony are, are trying to hint that they're, they're, they might consider doing something in the future. So please stop fucking asking us kind of thing. That's the way this situation reads to me. But I'll read it out here and then I'll toss to you, Mark. Uh, Sony has commented on the thorny issue of PlayStation Crossplay, suggesting it's working on a solution. At the Game Lab conference in Spain today, Sean Layden, president and CEO of Sony Interactive Entertainment America and chairman of SIE Worldwide Studios, and PS4 system architect Mark Cerny delivered a presentation about the legacy of PlayStation. At the end of the talk, Eurogamer reporter Robert Purchase Put the crossplay issue to Layden. Here's what he said. I thought it was fascinating you talking about PlayStation 3 uh, flying cl too close to the sun. Your Icarus moment, you called it, and then PlayStation 4 coming back, uh, 
to be more back to basics to be more about the players but there seems to be an issue at the moment that sony isn't listening to its players or doesn't seem to be and that's crossplay fortnite particularly and i wondered if there were any plans to open it up it seems like sony's not listening laden replied by saying he could offer one short statement we're hearing it we're looking at a lot of possibilities you can imagine that the circumstances around that affect a lot more than just one game i'm confident we'll get to a solution which will be understood and accepted by our gaming community while at the same time supporting our business uh, what are your thoughts on that? So, I mean, there, there was a little bit more um, after that. Um, I mean, if you go to, like, the kind of original statements around this with the, the vague, uh, you know, we're open to hearing feedback from the PlayStation community and blah, 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 blah. Obviously, Sony have been hammered about this um, via social media and whatever. Uh, and the... this has become the new uh, let us change our PSN names yes uh, and the masterful troll job by Nintendo and Microsoft certainly didn't uh, help um, that and I very much enjoyed that the the big concern that Sony have with this is it's purely just a business thing that you know they don't want someone who has um, a uh, an, a Fortnite account that they use like primarily on xbox that buys cosmetics on there and if you didn't see there was a report today about um i think it was like the average fortnite player spent about 80 quid on the game and obviously sony want a slice of that pie so they don't like the idea of someone playing on one account on one device and then you know at some point going over to play on the playstation 4 but never actually spending any money while playing on there um so you know i i would imagine that they want it to be that if you're playing on fortnite um, your account is locked specifically to the PlayStation 4, but you can, you know, then um, play against people that are on other consoles. Uh, so, you know, it's it's just a business thing, and Fortnite is making an obscene amount of money, so I can see why Sony would have in their best interests that, you know, people that play on their console can only make purchases on that console and can only play on that console. Mm. Um, at some point, though, they're just going to have to bite the bullet because uh, they will, you know, Fortnite is the biggest game out there at the moment. And um, they're just going to con- consistently get hammered over this. Uh, and as someone that works, as someone that works in customer support and community management, uh, you know, you can only uh, hold, uh, you know, safe face for so long before you just need to just accept that all right, we just need to go with this. Um, so, you know, it'll happen at some point and they'll come out and they'll say that, uh, hey, this is what we had planned all along and just we had to figure a few things out. And, you know, it's as as I've kind of said every single time when we talk about this, I really it like. I am as far removed from this situation and, and caring about it, but it is hilarious to read about every single week and the uh, the the passion, we'll say passion, um, that people playing Fortnite on Sony uh, are currently having, uh, as if there wasn't you know about ten other ways to play the frigging game with other people at the moment. Mm. Uh, speaking, do you have any of... thoughts on it, by the way? Um, I I think I pretty much like laid it out last week, and that I think. That a lot of the excuses Sony are putting in for why they, they don't want to do it have been very contrived and very like they remind me of like Jim Ryan's statements about the username thing that was just very contrived ways of saying we don't want to do it, fuck off. 
Um, like I understand, and, and you would almost appreciate if they had just come out and said, "We don't want to do it." Fuck off. Yeah, and like I understand, like as you've laid out, there are some business reasons why you might want to dig your heels in and stuff like that. But again, like read the temperature of the room, see where things are going. You don't want to, you don't want to at this point be the only platform holder that's behind the time behind the curve like behind the curve on this when we're heading into the final phase of a console cycle and if like the xbox 2 or whatever it's going to be called comes out and immediately does cross cross platform with nintendo from day one and you're still digging in your heels a lot of people are going to be like i'll just switch over to the one that's open to other platforms next generation Sony need to make sure they don't do what Microsoft did last generation and that was rest on their laurels and assume that they would keep the mind share of game players going into the next generation. Um, they, they couldn't see the forest for the trees uh, and made a lot of really poor mistakes based on not listening to what their customers wanted from the next generation. Yeah, now, I mean, keep in mind, we are talking about one game here. Uh, as yeah, as well, big as that one game is. It, it's true, but it's an issue that, like, it, it's coming up about Fortnite now, but it's come up about other games in the past. Like, this Rocket came League up when Mi- this came up with Rocket League. This came up when Minecraft came to PlayStation. This comes up every so often with FIFA, but it's just, like, the FIFA community, it's very strange that, like, they they, they talk a lot about these issues, like the, the loot boxing with Ultimate Team and stuff like that, and then it just always fizzles out. Because it's such a an an the hardcore FIFA community are such a they don't really play any other games, so they get mad about this stuff within their own echo chamber, and it never really boils over like it did with Star Wars or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I, I think the thing as well is like it it's still I feel I feel it's kind of hard to quantify exactly what is the kind of typical Fortnite player. Is it someone else that plays other games? I, yeah, you know, like you say with FIFA, yeah, it's pretty much if you're a FIFA player, it's FIFA and maybe I don't know Call of Duty or or a Battlefield, but like yeah, the, 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 where, fact, where, the fact that I'm a FIFA player who plays almost every other game is really an exception rather than the rule. Yeah, but it's like where does where does the the average Fortnite player kind of come in? I don't, I don't know. I I couldn't tell you that. Sorry, say that again. I said, like, where does the kind of the, the the typical Fortnite player, you know, what what is that kind of person? Like, what other games are they playing? Like, you know, it's not that's something that I I don't feel I could uh, kind of give a, a, a kind of a, a well thought out answer because it's it's basically because Fortnite's only been around for less than a year, so it's, it's yeah, hard it, to still it's... say. It's that like massive silent majority. It seems to be of like the casual gamers who they like the idea of of playing a game uh, and going kind of where the puck is they go with the hot game right now so like you remember how big that and still is that the minecraft community blew up the 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 call of duty community it's that kind of player and that's not to discriminate them that they're they're not real gamers aren't like that because all that kind of um gatekeeping is bullshit but it, they have tapped into Fortnite is that once every couple of years game that has tapped into the people who only buy a couple of games a year and maybe the the free to play battle royale mode has really the fact that you can have a playstation you can get this um Fortnite battle royale without paying anything more for it like that's going to really appeal to teenagers um and it in gaming wherever the teenagers are going tend to be the tastemakers, you know? Um, so 
yeah, but a very interesting book could be written already on how Fortnite went from a game that was dying on its arse to the biggest game in the world. Uh, and I would read that book cover to cover. That's for <laughs> sure. Um, July, PlayStation Plus. Speaking of David Cage, uh, the, the headlining game for PlayStation Plus in July is Heavy Rain. Um, one of his, you know... We've talked about it. There's very conflicting feelings. If you want to go onto our YouTube channel, our long dormant YouTube channel, I, we do have a complete playthrough of Heavy Rain on that if you want to save yourself. I feel like this game has been on PS Plus before, but it might, might have just been for PlayStation 3. It was. Do you know what it was? It was that it got ported to PS4. And that's why we did the long play of it. A big deal was made about it getting ported. Right. Um, and... There might have been a thing where if you pre-ordered Detroit, you got it or something like that. It may have been in a big promotion that it popped up again. And then as well, last year, Fahrenheit got ported to PS4. Um, so there has been like every so often, they, they really love David Cage over there at Sony. They love him. Keep giving him blank checks to do whatever the shit he wants. So more power to them if they got that kind of money. Um, the other game that's coming is Absolver, uh, which... Hold on there a second. I nearly lost the article. Yeah, so uh, from the 3rd of July, PlayStation 4 owning plus subscribers can download Absolver, the RPG fighting game hybrid uh, that was recommended by Eurogamer, which uh, they said at the time was a one-of-a-kind blend of blood-thumping martial arts, combo curation, and grindy multiplayer set in a ravishing wasteland. Until grindy multiplayer, I was like, this sounds like a Mark Robinson game. (laughs) Actually, I, I was intrigued by Absolver. Um, uh, there's a number of games from last year I'd like to get back to uh, and, and try, and Absolver was actually one of them. Um, so yeah, that's your PlayStation Plus offerings. Uh, last couple of months have been a bit better. They were really flagging there for a long time, but uh, Trials and XCOM 2 this month and Absolver and Heavy Rain next month, uh, they're getting some big titles, even if you're not, obviously you personally, not a big fan of uh, Heavy Rain. Um, speaking of Fortnite, God, never out of our mouths, Fortnite. Uh, the timer has counted down, the circle has shrunk, and the biggest lawsuit royale of all, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds versus Fortnite, has concluded in a draw. Uh, PUBG Corp has this week dropped its legal case against Fortnite maker Epic Games, according to a Bloomberg report published today. The company behind Player Unknown's Battlegrounds had sought damages from Epic for ripping off the now well-established battle royale formula, but after months of legal wrangling, PUBG Corp has suddenly backed out without any public explanation as to why. Bloomberg report states that PUBG Corp confirmed the lawsuit's withdrawal but would not be drawn on whether a settlement had been reached out of court um this is pretty much the exact conclusion we thought was going to happen mark either it was going to be laughed out of court or it was going to be settled out of court and it it seems to be we we may not know we may not ever know but it seems to have been one or the other either PUBG realized that the precedent has already been set they weren't really going to get anywhere or Fortnite, because they're doing so well at the moment we're just like here's some hush money now fuck off it's yeah it's one of two things it's either epic have gone here's money i doubt it is i reckon it's more PUBG have realized you know what i don't think we can sue for just a genre being ours it's not really gonna work so like i said that 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 kind of the pac-man lawsuit in the 70s or 80s that we we referenced a couple weeks ago on the show that set the precedent i i don't think obviously them taking up the lawsuit in korea uh, was designed specifically to avoid that United States precedent from uh, 
entering into it, but at the same time, it's like once that precedent is set and it's well publicized, and there have been many court cases like this in the past that have all been kind of shouted out or settled out of court. I think realistically, they knew that this wasn't going to end completely in their favor. And here's the thing, right? Like, it's one thing if you um, are this, you know, giant making however much money and you go after uh, a two-man team, development team that are are making, you know, a a small amount of money but doing well to get by um, who don't have access to to, uh, solicitors or whatever. But you're going up against the game that's making three hundred million a month at the moment. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's not worth like there, there's no way. I don't think I don't think there's anyone I saw that commented on this that looked at this from the perspective of oh yeah PUBG they got a chance there yeah they're gonna come out of this as winners. No, this was a disaster from beginning to end. Yeah, absolutely. Five years nearly after its release, we're getting another expansion for GTA Online. Talk about license to print money. Uh, Rockstar will once again expand the world of Grand Theft Auto Online next month with the launch of another new update, Los Santos Nightclubs. Due at some point in July, the free expansion will let you open and manage your own nightclub, customize its setup, look, staff, and promotion, and fill it with real-life music acts such as Solomon, Tale of Us, Dixon, and the Black Madonna. Um, there's a teaser trailer there as well. Clubs will be another source of income for GTA Online players, but also a way to launder dirty money from ill-gotten gains found elsewhere. Uh, more details on the update will follow in the next few weeks. Um, and if you haven't played GTA in a while, anyone logging into GTA Online from now until next Monday will earn themselves an exclusive orange wireframe bodysuit and a big dollop of in-game cash with further money and clothing rewards coming in the next few weeks after that. Um... GTA Online continues to be a powerhouse, Mark. Continues to add, like, I will periodically log into GTA Online when a new, um, a big content update drops like this or when the the Motorcycle Club expansion dropped or what was the other one? The one with the mobile command center and the, the, the bunkers. Yeah, that was it, when you could build a bunker for yourself. Uh, I'll periodically pop in and see what's up. And... Every time I log in, I'm amazed not only at how like large and robust these expansions are, but also how, as well as these large expansions, there's been about a hundred other changes and additions to it that just didn't warrant a massive press release. I, I do appreciate that they have just bolted on a management sim to the side of this for no fucking reason other than, well, why not? Yeah, like, the expansions they've added, like the, like I said, the motorcycle clubs or the bunkers or these, all these expansions and different enterprises you can run with your gang in this game, they all interact with each other in really interesting ways. And you can pursue one or a multitude of these uh, enterprise, depending on how you have, one or a multitude of these enterprises which can benefit one another. So if you're like this article says so if you're running um a motorcycle club and you're obviously you know robbing money or laundering money and things like that then you could use your nightclub operation to funnel that money into presumably and make it clean um it's crazy like it's so well thought out and i imagine that it's one of those things where kind of like when i plugged in the witcher 3 for the first time is that there's so much to do in gta online now that if you 
start that game for the first time and you hit pause and you look at the map and keep all the the icons on you would get anxiety just from looking at the amount of things there are to do there uh it's it's just outrageous and obviously it's still doing very very well for itself otherwise they would have uh, tapered off on the expansions by now i imagine but they got i suppose after like after this long you got to imagine they'll run out of ideas eventually shortly it's well i mean there is that it's just this mal idea that um you know you think of something like uh destiny that when it dropped was like oh yeah we have this 10 10 year plan for for destiny um and you know we're already on to destiny 2 and like no one in their right mind expected that we expected that gta 5 would come with online multiplayer um, because, uh, you know, I, I remember uh, greatly enjoying the multiplayer for GTA 4, and it would just kind of be a continuation of that. But I, in my right mind, did not expect that it would continue on for as long as it has. Um, and, you know, I, I feel like part of it is kind of the merging of um, the, the kind of PC uh, modding scene and culture that's kind of blended over into the, the console scene um, and you know there's just there's so much that you can do in that world and so much you can just fuck around with that you know it really is at the point now like a kind of Minecraft where you know the only restrictions in place is your mind and what objectives you want to achieve on that given day yeah absolutely uh Moving on now, uh, Nintendo have announced... Uh, I didn't include the link for this. My apologies. I thought I did. Uh, Nintendo have this Labo contest going on at the moment, Mark. I don't know if you've heard about this. Where No, I've not. So, so you know there's a Labo creation suite where there's... Um, you can build your own gadgets through Labo. Um, it allows you to kind of program whether it's um, the... The music program on it allows you to do different things or uh, you can kind of use your own cardboard almost to build uh, custom Labo sets and use the Labo software to try and program it to respond in a certain way. I'm, it, it's, a, it's the kind of community I want to periodically check in on just to see the crazy shit that Nintendo have kind of just given them the keys to the kingdom here. It's like, let's see what you can do. So they have a contest at the moment um, to kind of build the most creative thing you can think of using Nintendo Labo. Um, and they announced it, Nintendo announced a grand prize this week for it. And it is a, it's not quite a Switch made out of cardboard, but it is a cardboard Switch. It's a, a Switch with like decals or stickers on it that make it look exactly like it's made completely out of Labo. And it is very convincing looking like at a glance it, it like it's made out of cardboard and it is the cool world. if this option had been available at launch day for switch i probably would have gotten a cardboard aesthetic uh, <laughs> labo it looks so cool um again another case of mark don't you say that nintendo's aftercare on their games and their first party stuff is just top notch this is them encouraging the community to get as creative as they can and uh i i would not be surprised if we got a nintendo direct before christmas with like the the third and fourth variety kits for labo yes i i've not really ventured into to labo too much i you know you should stop down someday uh and we'll we'll do some labo i would very much like to do some labo is that is that what the kids say to do a labo i, I don't know to do a labo sounds like 
something that you wouldn't want to look up on Urban Dictionary. <laughs> but um, but yeah, like I, I have no idea kind of like what the community is with that kind of thing. I presume there's a Reddit thread somewhere. Um, uh, and I haven't just even kind of tapped into just, just, I don't know, what creative shit you can get up to. So yeah, I, I'm going to have to come around at some point and just kind of really kind of get a, a, an understanding of what the fuck that thing is. Yeah, you're more than welcome to. Um, moving on. <laughs> Finally, it, it was only last week or was it two weeks ago we were talking about this. Reports coming out that Telltale Games are going to ditch its engine. Thank fucking God the day has finally come. According to a variety of reports, uh, it confirms earlier rumblings that Telltale would move away from its own increasingly rickety Telltale tool in favor of the widely used Unity instead telltale tool has been that say that 10 times fast has been the bedrock of the company's choose your own adventure gameplay since the studio's founding years before it was popularized by the walking dead yes we're talking before csi fatal conspiracy before even wallace and gromit's grand adventures in recent years it's fair to say the engine's age has showed reflecting in what variety reports were poor sales for the studio's latest series Despite extra layers of graphical polish daubed on for Batman Enemy Within and the promise of an unscripted combat sequence in this year's Walking Dead the final season, Telltale will ditch its long-in-the-tooth tech immediately afterwards. Uh, Telltale's forthcoming The Wolf Among Us Season 2, which was delayed in 2019, and the untitled Stranger Things game, which is also slated for next year, will be the first to run on Unity, which makes me very happy because, as I said when we talked about it last... I really want to play Wolf Among Us Season 2, but I don't want to ever use that engine again. Um, this was long overdue, Mark, wasn't it? This, the, the company is hurting at the moment, and this was the best thing they could really do to win back some players. Yeah, we, we spoke about this um, last week, and I spoke about this at length last week, so I don't really think there's too much more I can add, other than, obviously, that... Um, someone at Telltale listens to this show and took our feedback on board. So that's good to hear. Yeah, indeed. Keen listeners of Link the Cast are the folk at Telltale. Shout out. Uh, Spider-Man. The Ballad of Joe Spider-Man. Coming out this year on PlayStation 4. The Insomniac game. The Insomniac uh, it includes a raft of famous villains, as we saw at E3, with everyone from Electro to Rhino and Scorpion to Vulture confirmed to make an appearance. Well, now it looks like we know one other villain set to star in the game via a likely source, a loose-lipped voiced actor. How many times, Mark, before it is, how many times over the years has a voice actor just completely fucked it in terms of, like, something they were supposed to keep secret for a game? <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. legendary. It, it really... Oh, my God. <laughs> but anyway... Uh, Chris Jai Alex, who plays Rhino and Spider-Man, spoke with Call of Duty YouTuber Driftor, which is just the worst sentence I've ever said out loud, <laughs> in an E3 video interview. It's not even Drifter as in the way you would spell Drifter. There's a fucking numerical zero in there just to piss yeah. you off. Uh, now, the, the the reason he was speaking to him is because he is the multiplayer announcer on Black Ops 4, which is why he was on this godforsaken YouTube channel. During the chat, he discusses the issue of scale when it comes to playing video game characters in a fight scene in the new Spider-Man and mentions Doc Ock, uh, which he was not supposed to. <laughs> um, so that's pretty cool because we've seen, we saw the long E3 gameplay demo, which has kind of seems to have settled a lot of people's fears that the the gameplay would be a little bit too scripted for their liking so now we're not worried as much about the gameplay people didn't necessarily like that the most high profile villain 
Ennis seemed to be Mr. Negative, who is very much a lower B-tier Spider-Man villain. But uh, he was the guy, do you remember from the first trailer that looked like a, the negative of a photograph? Like he was black and white and all glowy and stuff? Uh, no. Um, but anyway, um, I think we can say by comparison, Doc Ock is box office. Um, still, is that still your, I think, I feel like we talked about this not too long ago. Is that still your favorite Spider-Man movie? Spider-Man uh, 2 with Doc, Doc Ock? Uh, are we talking out of the original, the, the 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 original three, or out of all of them? Oh no, um, I guess it's between that and Homecoming. Um, yeah, I think those are one and two, probably for most people. But yeah, possibly it might just be the the, the nostalgic twinge of uh, Spider-Man Two that makes me go for that. Mm. But Homecoming was really really good. So yeah, damn right. Uh, and in our final bit of news for this week, um. Kind of, it seems, in response to, one, losing the Champions League and Europa League licenses, which probably ticked them off quite a bit, and two, in response to the large World Cup update that FIFA threw in, uh, the PEZ community is not leaving it lie. Um, They don't have their own World Cup update. EA has FIFA's signature on that official license, but it does have a small group of dedicated fans who have put the time into creating an unofficial World Cup update for the game. Konami's football game is famous for its option files, edits that add official player names and kits, among other things, to the game. Back in the day, I'd spend hours manually editing players' names. Oh my god, I remember the struggle was real back in those days, Mark. But it was such a it was so much better than FIFA that it was worth the effort back then. These days, in fact, for some time now, Pez players have been able to download and install community-created option files to do all the work for them. Uh, there are pl- there are a handful of pretty decent World Cup option files for Pez out there. The World Cup 2018 update has a good shape for PlayStation 4 players. There's one for PC as well. Um, I think when the chapter in the garbage fire book that is the decline of konami uh at least it's it's game development wing is written um i i think it will be noted that the thing that really has kept pro evo alive over these years is the community more so than konami itself um which clearly doesn't give a fuck about anything well, let's not get into konami for too long uh with the exception of moving over to the the fox engine uh, I, I think all the significant cool things that are being done with Pez, anytime Pez comes up in the news for me um, and I take notice is when the fan community have done something great. And it, to me, does it, 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 it makes a case for involving your fan community in development. Yeah. Um, it's like, the thing with this and and Konami and and Pez and whatever at the moment is like considering we're at the point now where FIFA you know has basically everything. Um, it has the Champions League, it has the World Cup. It, the only thing I really feel like at this point that's going to keep Pez going is that uh, community of players that. You know, just prefer Pez over FIFA, um, and with anything in life, like, do you remember um, when they were going to take the Halo Two servers down? Um, but there are a couple of people that kept playing, 
like just had the game constantly on like playing online so they couldn't take the servers down i can't remember the exact story but effectively it was along those lines that you know they couldn't take the server down until everyone was offline and then so there was these two or three people or whoever was just kept playing like that's the kind of level of um passion that you will find with players of this description who will do shit like this um and like i mean you think about uh when the new smackdown the the new wwe 2k game comes out and within like a week you've got every freaking wrestler you can think of has got a a, a, a model made that you can download um and yeah it, it speaks to the, to the creativity of people um and people that just you know want to do this kind of thing and you've kind of mentioned before about at the start of when you purchase a new PES game and you know within a day or two you've got like all the custom packs for all the teams and whatnot yeah uh, and it's you know this is just an extension of that basically um, so yeah it's yeah. cool and 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 just to tag up on those like those WWE games have very little appeal to me anymore but the 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 main appeal they have is the community creations are great and amazing. It, it's just, it's even fun just to browse them sometimes to see what people have been doing. And it, it adds something to the game that 2K just aren't, you know? Well, if, the, if the gameplay was anywhere approaching solid, that compa- like kind of combined with the, the community creations would make that game very enjoyable. Uh, but sadly, that is not the case, my friend. Indeed, indeed. Oh, I even brought Brucey Dortmund. On, on, I realised they dumped Pez as well. Oh man. I know, right? Oh, what have they got left? What does Pez actually have left at this point? Uh, they have a deal with Liverpool. Um, even though Liverpool are still in FIFA, but they have proper Liverpool in in Pro Evo. They, they have a couple of like, I think they have La Liga and they have the Eredivisie in Holland, and they have a couple of leagues licensed. Um, and they're the only football game that are allowed to show the new camp, Barcelona Stadium. In um, in FIFA, it's not called the new camp. It's just a facsimile of the new camp <laughs> because FIFA can't like you, you can't stop FIFA from using your team. But for some reason, stadiums are different. I don't fucking know. <laughs> anyway, uh, that will bring a close to the news for this week. We're going to move on now to the Link to Cast Book Club, that weekly feature where we talk about an important game from the past that you should either pick up for the first time if you haven't before or pick up again if it's been a while. Uh, this week, we're talking the sequel to of all time. And this is Doom 2, otherwise known as Doom 2 Hell on Earth.
Doom 2 Hell on Earth is a first-person shooter video game, the second title of id Software's Doom franchise. It was originally released for MS-DOS computers in 1994 and Macintosh computers in 1995. Unlike Doom, which was initially only available through shareware and mail order, Doom 2 was a commercial release sold in stores. Master Levels for Doom 2, an expansion pack that includes 21 new levels, was released on December 26, 1995 by id. Uh, Immediately following the events in Doom, the player once again assumes the role of the unnamed space marine, Doom Guy. After defeating the demon invasion of, Mar of the Mars moon bases and returning from Hell, the manifestation of where Hell, uh, of Hell where Deimos moon floats over, Doom Guy finds that Earth has also been invaded by the demons who have killed billions of people. Uh, that's kind of your kickoff for Doom 2. So let's kind of throw it out. The main reason I put this in here... Um, is to just throw open um, the discussion on Doom again, because since we did the first Doom, so this is the third Doom game that's going in the book club, because we put Doom 2016 in within months of that game coming out, which may be a little overzealous at our part, but here we are. Um, since we talked about the original Doom and the work of uh, John Romero, John Carmack, and id Software in, in bringing that game to life. Um, we've had Doom 2016. Uh, it's a massive success, and a lot of people getting back interested in the Doom franchise, leading to this E3, where id popped up on the Bethesda conference to tease Doom 2, uh, or Doom Eternal, as it's being called now, the, the second game in the re rebooted Doom franchise. A game which... Uh, when it was originally, when it, they started developing it, it was going under the name of Doom Hell on Earth, uh, which is the sort of official subtitle of the original sequel to Doom. And the phrase original sequel is very silly, but here, that's where we are in pop culture. Um, Mark, Doom in 2018, it, it's crazy how this franchise that... Doom 3 seemed to have killed dead uh in, in the concept of doom but now we're, we're all talking about it again uh well that's because uh you know doom 2016 was the actual game game of the year of 2016 um <laughs> however much you want to argue to me otherwise about hitman uh yeah it's well here's the thing like, there's one thing where you uh constantly you know drag something a, a a series, you know, from the grave, kicking and screaming that should not be brought back, um, to just kind of like just push the last kind of couple of breaths out of it, uh, in a way that Resident Evil did on a number of occasions, but then actually managed to kind of turn it back around and, and deliver, mm -hmm. you know, Resident Evil 4 or Resident Evil uh, 7. Um, with Doom, it simply had been so long that. You know, there was the curiosity of like, what would a Doom in in 2016 uh, look like, and how would it mm. play? Um, and you know, it just it defied all expectations, and it had the advantage of that coming off of the back of Doom Three, which some people do like. Uh, it, it, the expectations were low enough, I think, um, and certainly it helped that the the demo uh, wasn't particularly compelling. That it just blew everyone uh, away. Uh, I yeah. think would be a fair assessment. Uh and, and we look to the future and we think about Doom Eternal, which is a, a 2019 game at the very earliest. Um, 
I think all we really want, having finished Doom 2016, uh, unless I'm very much mistaken, Mark, is just a more refined version of what we already got. Kind of the way Wolfenstein to Wolfenstein 2 went. I enjoy what they're doing. I just can't wait. To, now that they've figured out what these kind of games are, I can't wait to see what they do, how they improve on it how they adapt the system for a sequel where they've already figured out like they've already done a lot of the heavy lifting for it um and that's kind of what happened with with doom 2 back in the 90s another reason why it's 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 kind of interesting to have this discussion now uh only coming out like uh, what date is the original doom so this came out in 1994 and the original doom can't have been too far behind it um yeah 1993 so it came out a a year after the first release of doom um so not a huge amount of turnaround time in there so they always didn't build doom 2 hell on earth from the ground up but what they were able to do is you know there's that kind of thing it's like ubi did with assassin's creed mark you know they put the first one out the door and then they figured once it got out into game into players hands they they said to themselves okay here's what we could do differently here's what we can improve on let's turn it around kind of make more of the same but a better version of that uh, and see how people get on with that yeah in some respects it's a very smart way to go about things like it, it benefits that doom itself the original doom it wasn't like it was a bland or or buggy or or not quite complete game like some people would say the original assassin's creed was so that's kind of where that comparison falls apart um but one of the things that they changed directly from this and i mentioned it in the intro is that the the mode of distribution for doom 2 uh was completely different were were you aware of how the original distribution of doom worked uh no it, it wasn't until many many years later where you know i i kind of really understood doom and its impact in general and and everything else that comes along with it yeah so most people the way they would have played doom in the 90s and certainly way my father who introduced me to doom um the very first game i ever played um the way it was done was that you got the first several levels of doom for free uh on shareware and once you've got kind of like the first taste is free sort of thing like you're a fucking junkie uh the only way to get the the rest of doom at the time was to actually send money to id software send them i think it was 40 dollars for the rest of the game you would post your money to id software and they would send you out the rest of the floppy disks for doom uh which is kind of wild um and it was also an episodic game i mean it's no different than spending extra money on dlc these days well this is the thing it's like we talk about how you know it it kind of set the standard for um, first-person shooters and online multiplayer. But we never really, in our first discussion, and a lot of people don't bring up how kind of like, sort of just out of the circumstances they were dealing with, they were doing DLC and episodic gaming before it was the done thing, uh, which is kind of wild. Um, Another thing that I think is going to mirror Doom Eternal when it comes out is that um, I I should actually kind of pull this back a little bit, Mark, and talk about how much Doom 2 have you like, have you played through Doom 2 or were you just a Doom original guy? Doom 2 is a missing piece of my uh, Doom playing experience. 
Okay. Um. So kind of in the way that like Doom Doom Eternal is going to be very similar in not necessarily story because there's a whole bunch of weird stuff going on with UAC in the the remake of Doom that wasn't good like they didn't have the the storytelling complexity that is now available to us in 2018 but loosely it will be the same thing uh, by the looks of the teaser trailer for Doom Eternal where now after kind of the the demons on the the UAC outpost in space and then going to hell in the final part of the game you finish the first game and then find out that hell has broken out on earth quite literally the demons have invaded through some sort of portal thanks to UAC fucking with everything and uh, doom guy has got to go and do what he does best and that's just kick the piss out of some demons uh, one of the real challenges for Doom 2 at the time was that because of that story, that what they had, the limitations they had put on themselves by going back to Earth, which is a much less kind of imaginative setting than Phobos and Deimos, the 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 moons of Mars, they they left themselves with the opening levels to this game. I think it's the opening levels. So the, there's a lot of levels that take place at like UAC warehouses and things like that, which are le- naturally seem like very dull sort of settings. There's a lot of browns, a lot of greys. But one of the things I find really fascinating about Doom 2 is that how it takes what could be very boring fights or levels set amongst just UAC storage containers and builds these labyrinthine levels out of them. Carmack and, and Rare, they really went crazy with just... The, the intricacy of the levels in the original Doom, making them look like child's play by comparison. Again, another very early case of a, a game that rewards you for going off the beaten path. But at the same time, Mark, and you'll probably know this from just playing Doom 1, it, it wasn't always that you were deliberately going off the beaten path. It was that you would very easily, if you weren't paying attention, just get wrapped up in like a side corridor you'd be gone off the the sort of the critical path for the level quite quickly uh so intricate were the level designs yeah and i mean i i can't speak for um doom 2 in in how it you know laid the the level designs out but certainly from uh the original doom as we've spoken about uh and from you know when we've uh, discussed doom 2016 uh, the the world that's created uh, as you mentioned is very kind of labyrinth labyrinthine in its design um and does you know it, it can cause uh you know kind of very claustrophobic type feel um which i feel was kind of intentional in the, the way you could kind of get packed into corridors with with a large kind of variety of, of enemies um mm-hmm. i mean how do you feel you say that uh, Doom Two is kind of a, a refinement of what comes in Doom One, but like, does does it add anything? Does it change like in the way that the game is paced or in the way that uh, levels are designed? So your second to second gameplay, like the the movement and your your use of weapons and things like that, remains fa- fairly similar to the original Doom. Uh, the one addition, I if I recall correctly, this was the debut of the super shotgun. Uh, which is uh, was that your favorite weapon in uh, Doom 2016 if I, I mean, recall correctly the shotgun is my preferred weapon of choice in any first person shooter 
Indeed, indeed. Um, and like it, it added it. It had kind of it was and it was one of those cases where it's like let's do do it was very nineties excess kind of philosophy. It's let's do doom but bigger and more difficult and more of it, you know. Um, it had kind of like all your your greatest hits in terms of weapons from the 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 rocket the, the class rocket launcher to the BFG nine thousand was back and then when you talk about uh, enemies in the game you had everything from your imps uh, up to your kaku demons to your lost souls and spider demons and cyber demons from the first one but it was also the the debut in the the doom canon of the likes of the revenant and the mancubus and the hell knight all which if you played doom 2016 all these names will be familiar to you this was kind of just filling out and and deepening the gameplay of doom even if the the technological limitations of the time couldn't make this a just a massive massive game like doom 2016 was but they did everything they could to add different kinds of demons that require different strategies or um the addition of the super shotgun as well to add a little bit more strategy to the switching of weapons because that was something that we we praised in doom 2016 but really had been there since the start is that the variety of enemies and the the different levels of aggression and attack patterns they have, even in Doom 1 and Doom 2, really force you to change up those weapons, unless you're using uh, cheat codes, that is, which a lot of people did back in the 90s. Um, it, it's funny because Doom 2 came out, um, like, I said, like I said, in 1994, and around this time, Doom 2 and Doom 1 reached like the, the crest of a wave, a fever pitch of popularity that it wouldn't really uh, reach again with Doom 3. And it, it's only kind of getting back there now with, with modern gamers and Doom 2016. Uh, did you know, for example, in the first year where both were on sale, Doom sold more copies than Windows 95? I did not. It was installed no. on more computers than Windows 95, <laughs> uh, which is... Uh, incredible it led to bill gates attempted to buy id software off the back of that uh, uh, microsoft attempted uh, to buy seems them like a thing yeah and uh they kind of uh i see i have masters of doom and i still haven't read it i need to read it um but they that never happened never materialized and what happened then was bill gates kind of you know if you can't beat him join him policy uh went to cooperate then with id on making doom 95 the windows optimized port of of doom uh which, which is crazy i mean <laughs> as a business move it's quite genius though yeah and was the start of a very long history of the doom games being ported to everything yeah <laughs> uh, and it's funny because doom 2 it, it it has ports it definitely does if you check up the wikipedia page it's got some ports um but because it's Doom 2 and not Doom 1, even though there's nothing necessarily wrong with it that makes it worse than Doom 1, it like in a lot of ways, it's a more deepened and refined experience than Doom 1. It just doesn't have the ridiculous amount of ports that the other one does. However, I do very much enjoy, and this is a, a name from the past that you may not recall, one of the ports it got was to the Tapwave Zodiac. I don't know what that is. Uh, the Tapwave Zodiac was a discontinued mobile entertainment console. It was like, what? put it this way, it was the pro, it was the pro Evo to the N Gages FIFA. <laughs> what? That's, 
Yeah, you look this thing. Type in tap wave, all one word, Zodiac, and look it up. I ve- when I was researching this feature, I I saw the name and I was like, that kind of sounds a little bit familiar. Uh, and then I I saw the picture. And I was like, yeah, I remember seeing that somewhere, like in a magazine or something like that back I mean, in the day. It, it gives me flashbacks of the Gizmondo, but like this specifically, the tap wave Zodiac. Nope this this one passed me by. Yeah, you should read into that. I, I, think I, 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 I went down a pretty interesting rabbit hole on that one, so I, I don't want to take up too much more I, time I can here. see how it's some sort of like kind of multi-feature, multi-media uh, device with MP3s. and. It doesn't look too dissimilar from the, the tablet for the Wii U. Man, I... I know, right? Yeah, Tony Hawk's probably got a 4 in it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'll tell you what, it's it's a trip looking up that. Anyway, uh, I won't take up too much time considering you don't have uh, really th- that much of a, of a history with the game. I'll just finish off by saying that um, it it was a sequel that managed to, uh, this is kind of my elevator pitch, that managed to uh, replicate and, and deepen gameplay and level design where it needed to. It didn't in in any way kind of tarnish or diminish the original by just being kind of more of the same. Uh, In terms of level design, they did some surprising things uh, with what could have been very bland levels um, that I very much appreciate. Like a lot of ingenuity would have to go in to making those storage crates uh, in in any way an interesting environment to explore. and the other thing I will hit on is like the music in it is still good. It's not quite E1 M1 from uh, the original Doom, but uh, it's still that kind of like just it's it, it's banging. Uh, so that's Doom Two. One last bit of business before we wrap up the show for this week. Mark, you're up. All right, I'm going to take us back to that time in my life of around. Uh, 2007, 2008. We're going back Are to we the Xbox. Are we going to talk about the Top Wave Zodiac? Okay, we're we? not, no. But we're going to go back <laughs> to the Xbox Live Arcade. And we're okay. going to talk about a game that... <sighs> many a night was spent um, aiming to either better my own time or better the time of one young Jack Lazell. Uh, the whole summer was spent just absolute misery just trying to, you know, a game of one-upmanship. Uh, I want to talk about the, in fairness, rather excellent Trials HD. Ooh, timely. Timely. Cool. So, that is our book club for episode 117. Uh, That's going to do it for this week on Link to the Cast. Uh, This podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and most podcasting platforms. Just search Link to the Cast, subscribe to us there, rate, review, uh, tell a friend. It all helps. Uh, The website is linktothecast.eu. If you want to get in touch with us, the email address is linktothecast at gmail.com. But social media, the quickest way to get in contact with us and to keep tabs on the content as we drop it, facebook.com forward slash linktothecast and at linktothecast on Twitter. Individually, I'm at Dave Ryan IV and Mark over there is at Lithium Project. Uh, if games aren't your only interest, by the way, we do have some podcasts that may be for you. Also available in this feed are the Grap Up, which is our once in a while pro wrestling podcast. I feel we may be approaching the need for a Grap Up soon, Mark, with the, the UK tournament just completed, the May Young Classic on the way, and we're heading into SummerSlam season. So we might drop one of those in the next little while if schedules permit. Uh, and our other uh, 
podcast in this network at the Popcorn Social, which is a monthly deep dive into the latest cinema offerings uh, for myself and Jack Lazell. We also drudge up uh, a favorite film, uh, one each from the past, and we talk about that for a little while. We also are working on a new kind of uh, special format for the show that we'll do every so often when the uh, the film release schedule is a bit sparse that we're going to call Ranking of Oeuvres. Um, so look out for that in the near future we're going to drop a standard uh, popcorn social within the next week or two myself and Jack are just trying to make it work at the moment um, these podcasts and uh, the weekly Link to the Cast flagship podcast are all available in the same podcast feed so just one subscription to Link to the Cast on your favourite podcast platform will do the trick and of course it, there are many episodes in our back catalogue if you just want to go back and check and see if your favourite game is in there and hey if your favourite game isn't in there and you want us to cover it maybe send us a tweet and say why haven't you covered this game you sons of bitches for Link to the Cast episode 116 I have been Dave Ryan man of the line here Mark Robinson we shall see you next week. I'm going to go jump into a bath full of ice. <laughs> All right, Brock Lesnar. <laughs>